I say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here at the Momentum Studios myself. I got Zeb over here as well. And Zeb, I actually might have you chime in today a bit. And if you want to prepare yourself, the last couple of weeks I've skipped over the Lamar Jackson contract, and I want to get your thoughts on that. So after we get through win shares and NBA playoffs and all of that, be ready to chime in today, Zeb. Fair enough. (laughs) Me and Zeb here at the studio, and uh, let's just get straight into win shares. Um, For those of you who are like, what are win shares? Basically, they're announcements with the Wake Up and Win podcast. We wanted to come up with a more creative name than just announcements for our announcements. So we call them win shares. So here we go. Um, First off, before I discuss um, my schedule for the weekend, which is usually what I do with win shares, I want to send a huge, huge thank you to none other than the Pacific University. Many of you know that I am the voice of Pacific University Athletics. And this year was my second year being able to be the MC for the SAC Student Athlete Banquet. Um, it's a banquet that Pacific puts on every year for all student athletes in all sports. Um, they give out awards. You know, they do the play of the year. They do athlete of the year awards. Um, they they congratulate and celebrate the seniors. It's something that I was able to be a part of when I attended and played basketball at Pacific University for the couple of years that I played ball there. And obviously wasn't a part of it for quite some time, especially like during the COVID years and I just wasn't hosting it and wasn't a part of it for quite some time. But this year was year two that I've been able to host and be the MC for the awards banquet. So, you know, it's super dope. Um, For one, congratulations to all the athletes, all the student athletes at Pacific University that was able to make it through a successful season. Obviously, for the seniors themselves that have been able to make it through a collegiate career as a student athlete, it is no small feat. And quite frankly, it's a rare achievement. And I think a lot of times, you know, people look at it because it's a smaller level and it's the Division III level, and people try not to put as much value into it because obviously you got Division II, you got Division I, you got professional athletics. But even at the Division III level, it is very competitive. And I'll tell you, I think in some cases personally, I would make a case that the the Division III level is actually – a tougher level to survive as a student athlete than that of the higher levels, be it Division II, be it Division I. First of all, the Division I and the Division II levels, you're scholarship athletes. When you have scholarship athletes out there at those particular levels, we all know and have heard stories of, you know, maybe some things being bent into the favor of the athlete because the school has made a particular investment in these athletes. So, you know, we often hear about, you know, at the Division One level relationships that coaches may have with professors or, you know, guys that we know will be going to the league or especially the guys at the high major Division One level that know they'll probably be one and done who basically – are enrolled in school but ain't really going to school or got somebody working with them, study hall. I mean, just the resources are plentiful for scholarship athletes. When you're at the Division three level, man, I'll tell you, obviously, as somebody who played at that level um, and, and got my education at that level as well, like, it is all on you. The teachers don't particularly bend for you. In fact, 
Student athlete actually means what it says in the order that it says it. You are a student first and then you are an athlete. But anybody that's an athlete knows like the time and the investment that you put into being an athlete and playing sports at even the Division three level is not much different than what you see at any other level. The only difference that you usually see at the higher levels is usually just gifts. And what I mean by gifts, I'm more so speaking of like athletic gifts, guys who are a little bit taller, guys who are a little bit more athletic, guys who have maybe a more specialized talent that you won't see for most people at the D3 level. Where D3, you know, you got guys who are very fundamentally sound. They're super strong. They can shoot the shit out of it. Their games aren't weak at all. <laughs> like the comp- the competition is definitely there. You just might not have the high flyers who may be less skilled than some of the D3 guys, but because they can jump out the gym and dunk on whoever or block whoever shot, they can find them a roster spot at a higher level. So I really want to, you know, highlight the student athletes and again, SAC, the student athlete advisory committee that's at every NCAA school in the country. They're the ones that put on this banquet for Pacific University in particular. But I really want to highlight, you know, those student athletes at Pacific that I get to see compete throughout the year. And again, obviously knowing and having the experience of being a student athlete at that level, like education is taking a taken a lot more seriously at that level than you may see at higher levels from student athletes, because most student athletes at higher levels have a dream of playing beyond college sports as a career in whatever particular sport it is that they play. There's a little bit more of a realistic side of things for those at the D3 level that know they have to take their education seriously. In fact, it's almost kind of like women's sports at the higher level. Like you even consider like the division one level. And I've talked to people about it. Um, and obviously, you know, they, we often hear about, the pay disparities and things of the like when it comes to women's basketball in comparison to men's basketball, which is why you see at the women's basketball level, even the top players that could probably play in the WNBA and be one and done touted type of players. They have to stay all four years because they need that collegiate degree because they're just not getting paid enough at the professional levels, um, you know, in women's sports to be able to leave college without having that degree. And I feel like you can kind of compare that to both men's and women's, obviously, at the Division three level where you kind of need that degree plan at that level because you're probably not going to get paid a significant amount, even if you do work your way into playing somewhere professionally. Like I've had teammates that have played professionally, but at the end of the day, they needed that degree and that professional career came to an end and they didn't get rich particularly off being able to go off and play overseas. They were able to have great experiences, of course, to play professional ball beyond their college years in different part of the world, parts of the world, so on and so forth. So I really, really want to pay homage and, and congratulate those athletes at Pacific University and just all Division Three athletes at large because I know the grind, I understand the grind, and I understand that the time that we put into the craft of our sports is not significantly different than the time that we see other levels of collegiate sports put into the craft of being an athlete. Like I said, there's usually just a gift that some of those guys have. And and I'll tell you, you know, I obviously have respect of guys that play as high as the NBA and that have played division one basketball and division two basketball. And I personally was always like an undersized forward. 
when I played sports. So I was never going to be the dude that was playing Division I basketball. But plenty of those dudes that I played against and competed against, you know, during high school, during AAU, whatever the case may be, they respect me because they know when we had to face off against each other, my talent, my ability, you know, my head smarts and my 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 just strategic way to go out there, my toughness and, and my ability to win and compete at a high level against guys who might have been faster than me, might have been taller than me, might have jumped higher than me, but I was able to still come off victorious and my teams were able to come off victorious and I was able to play a significant part of us being victorious against those type of guys. That's how I've earned the respect of so many people that play at higher levels than me and obviously I'm still a part of the game now, even at levels that I didn't play at, I'll, you know, be at the division one level, me calling games at Portland state. So I think people don't understand that enough, but again, huge thank you to that of Pacific university for allowing me to host that banquet, uh, Mallory Highfield, huge thanks to you working over at Pacific university and basically putting on the event, um, it was a pleasurable event. And I quite frankly, it was the best one that I've been a part of, um, you know, as as an athlete or now in my voice in my position as the voice of Pacific Athletics. Um, I do want to give a shout out as well to the two athletes of the year. I'll start on the women's side of things. Um, Bradley Kovaloff. My goodness, Bradley Kovaloff, a huge, huge congratulations to you. Um, Briley plays for the women's basketball team and I obviously have a good relationship with her because she's on the women's basketball team and, uh, she's just phenomenal, yo, <laughs> like a very good basketball player. I've watched her be a huge part of turning around our women's basketball program from even the years that I played there where, you know, the program was more of a bottom of the conference team to now each year, you know, the last couple of seasons haven't made it to back-to-back conference title games. And, you know, these, you know, a few years, these last three years, haven't made it to the postseason for the first time in a really long time, um, you know, and she's, again, been a star in her role playing for that team. So a huge shout-out to her. Also a shout-out to Tyler Quinn um, for our boxer baseball team. Had a huge year as well. Um I mean, just a phenomenal year for Pacific baseball. And our Pacific baseball team has actually done really well as well in the last few years under the leadership of head coach Brian Billings. So shout out to them. It was an honor to be able to present that award to you two because, um, you know, y'all y'all have been doing dynamic stuff for Pacific athletics. So, yeah, shout out to all of y'all. Appreciate y'all again, Pacific U for allowing me to be able to be a part of that banquet. And I am super stoked and excited for what's to come next year and continuing to be the voice at Pacific University. You know, we got big things coming up as far as the broadcast is concerned this fall in football. Um, you know, we got a partnership with Coin6, and uh, we'll be calling games over at Coin6. Um and, and, you know, being locally televised football games. I'm super excited about that. Obviously, I get to call games more linear with, with Portland State basketball in particular over on ESPN+. Plus. But to be able to do linear football games here locally in the city, you all will be able to listen to me and watch those games on local TV, and I'll be on the call for those games. I am super excited about that. Um, 
Also, this week, as far as my DJ lineup is concerned, I will be over at Export Saturday night. So this Saturday, um, May 13th, I will be at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge. It'll be a, a huge weekend. Um, the weather's finally getting hot here in PDX, so this is rooftop season now. So y'all definitely pull up on me this weekend. Friday, I will not be at Lulu Fridays. Um for no bad reason at all, I actually have been booked for a wedding for quite some time on Friday the 12th. And so um, I got to go take care of that. They will have another DJ coming in there still. Go pull up and support the establishment. This is super dope establishment. Always good music in there. Um, you know, great cocktails and just a good time and a good vibe here in the city. Always good people coming through there. So I won't be out anywhere public. I'll be doing a wedding on Friday, but Saturday you can catch me at 9 p.m. at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge, and we will vibe out. So that's the wind shares for today. Appreciate you for listening to my Division Three athletics rant. Um, but I felt like it's something you needed to hear and it's something that has been kind of sitting and resonating with me since being able to obviously host that uh, event last night. Now, NBA playoffs. I always start with the Lakers and Warriors, don't I? Sure I do. I'm going to do it again today. 3-2 um, series. The Lakers are up. You know, by the time you hear this episode Friday morning, we'll all be preparing well i'll be actually preparing for a wedding and djing a wedding but you all will be preparing and marinating yourselves for what will be a game six in los angeles as the lakers will try to close things out obviously went up 3-1 in the series took care of home in games three and four um took a commanding lead in this series the warriors as most of us i think expected did not let them close things out back in san francisco took care of business in game five but um, with that said, you know, 3-2, Lakers obviously got home court advantage being able to come back home. But I'll tell you this, man, pressure's on for the Los Angeles Lakers. Pressure's on for the Los, Land Los Angeles Lakers. If they don't close this thing out in six, I know game seven is game seven, and it's basically going to come down to who wants it more regardless of where you play. But it sure does help that the Warriors will be playing Game 7 back at home if they can figure out a way to steal one in Los Angeles. Obviously, haven't been able to steal a game in L.A. yet in this series, which is what should give them some confidence to be able to go and finally steal one here and now. Although it could probably make some folks' confidence waver that they haven't been able to win on the road in this series, you kind of feel like you're due for one, especially if you're a team with the championship pedigree like the Golden State Warriors have. Um, I'm excited to see what happens in game six or to follow what happens in game six. Again, I'll be DJing weddings and, you know, MCM receptions and DJing receptions and, you know, first dances and mother daughter dances, fire, excuse me, mother son dances, father daughter dances, so on and so forth. So I'll be following what's going on via my, my Apple phone that I have right here. But, uh, I think, you know, the pressure is on the Lakers and I also think, the Warriors, again, like I said, not only are they due for a road win in this series, which they currently hold a record of like 28 consecutive series with the road win. Y'all ever heard of somebody named Game 6 Clay? Yeah. It's not just a myth. He is the legend. Game 6 Clay. And quite frankly, I think Clay Thompson is due for a huge one. 
He hasn't been playing the greatest in this series. Really, game two was the game that he kind of had a, a huge game thing, hitting eight three-pointers in that game. Hit a significant amount of three-pointers in game one, but didn't, like, shoot it with the greatest of efficiency um, from beyond the arc. But game two was the game that he just absolutely lit it up, but he did that at home. So games three and four didn't particularly play well. Even last night didn't have a huge game either um, in game five, but they were able to come away with the win and survive to live to fight another day. But game six, Clay is somebody who we've seen before and I truly think will be back again, not just because of what history tells us, but also because he's just due for one of those games, whether it be, I wouldn't care if this was a game seven. Clay is due for a big game because he hasn't particularly been the hottest in this series. I also think, you know, I I, I talked on last week's episode um, well, maybe it wasn't last week's episode. I talked on Justin Meyer's show on Tuesday, <laughs> a couple days ago. I was on 620 Radio. I've been joining him, um, you know, on, on 620 Rip City Radio here in PDX during the playoffs. And I, I went on his show, and this was after, you know, the, wake, the Lakers won on Monday night. And I just sort of told him that, you know, I think a significant part of this series and why the Lakers have been able to take this 3-1 commanding lead is I just think Steve Kerr has been getting out coached in this series. Um, you know, I talked about it last week on here that the Lakers just had more time to prepare, being that they were able to finish the Grizzlies out in six, and the Warriors took went the distance with the Kings, obviously able to win, and a one-day turnaround before having to enter into game one of this series against the Lakers. But even beyond just having the time to prepare for that game one, I think the Lakers' in-game adjustments have been great. Um, and I think the, the timeliness of the adjustments that they've been making in-game have been great. And I think the, the actual opposite for that of Steve Kerr. I think Steve Kerr has made some decent adjustments coming into games, but the Lakers will then respond and adjust during the game. And Steve Kerr hasn't necessarily responded well to those in-game adjustments. And – I give a lot of credit, obviously, Darvin Ham, who's the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. But but beyond that, I give credit to Phil Handy. For those of you that don't know who Phil Handy is, Phil Handy is an assistant coach for the Lakers, a longtime, very well-known player development guy in the NBA. I actually happen to know more of Phil Handy beyond or, or prior to his NBA you know, coaching days. Um, Phil Handy is from the Bay Area. And he coached the AAU team called Team 94 in the Bay Area, which was one of the better AAU teams when we were coming up. One of my best friends, Robbie Herndon, who currently plays in the PBA out in the Philippines, grew up with him in the 707. He and I played AAU for a significant amount of time growing up before our team that we played for, which was called the Fairfield Ballers, which was also a really good team, by the way. Once we got into our last year of AAU, we all kind of separated, and that's when I went to go play with the GP Gloves. Obviously, y'all know the relationship with me and Gary Payton II, and Gary Payton, the Hall of Famer, was the sponsor for our team, and Robbie Herndon, who was a lights-out shooter, went and played for Team 94, and the head coach of Team 94 was Phil Handy. So I got to compete against Phil Handy's teams when I was playing for the Gloves back in those days. Um... But well-respected. I mean, very, very, very well-respected. As high up to guys like LeBron James. 
won a championship with LeBron when they were in Cleveland together, won a championship in Toronto with Kawhi Leonard when they beat the uh, Warriors in the title game, when, when Clay and Kevin Durant both went out with those significant injuries, then won a title again back in the bubble with the Lakers as well. Um, so he's somebody who has not only good rapport in the league, but has faced off and been a part of some significant series against that of this Warriors core, at least in particular, um, which is still the core of this team. You know, the Steph Curry's, the Draymond Green's, the Klay Thompson's. And so I think he's been a significant help to Darvin Ham in this series with the experience that he has had coaching against these guys. And quite frankly, as these head coaching interviews are happening, whether it be in Toronto, Milwaukee, so on and so forth, I don't see why Phil Handy isn't one of those dudes that teams should be nearly clamoring to interview. Like, folks should be wanting to interview him real bad right now because the dude, again, is so respected amongst the players in the league, um, and, and, and he's just obviously doing well in his positions and has won titles as an assistant coach for three franchises in the last <laughs> – Less than a decade. You know what I'm saying? So it's like he's one of those dudes. And then you look on the other end, Steve Kerr doesn't have Mike Brown as his associate head coach anymore. Mike Brown went on and and, and took Steve Kerr to distance in a seven-game series and became the NBA coach of the year for the Sacramento Kings. Obviously, it's being a Wake Up and Win podcast. Love being able to mention Mike Brown in this regard and Phil Handy in this regard as well as their black coaches. So that's another reason why I would advocate for them as well. And, and I'm proud of their success that they've been having in their respective positions. But I think we've gotten to see some of those adjustments from the Lakers, especially in-game, I said, and then lack thereof from Steve Kerr not having Mike Brown on his bench any longer. And it led to the Lakers taking a commanding lead. I think the Warriors are finally settled in now. And what I mean by that is I think they finally decided, listen, the Lakers are the bigger team here. There's nothing that we can do even trying or attempting to play with a bigger lineup that will make us a bigger team <laughs> to be able to attempt to match up with the Lakers that is a bigger team. I think a great adjustment has been putting Gary Payton the second in the starting lineup. So now you got Clay, Steph, Wiggs, GP2, and Draymond Green at the five, basically. I've been saying all along that that should be the case, and – we all know styles make fights. While, yes, the Lakers have a bigger team, you now have this small ball lineup that is able to play and spread the floor in ways that you wouldn't be able to with more of a traditional lineup. And having more of a traditional lineup favors that of the Los Angeles Lakers more than it favors the Golden State Warriors. So the Warriors playing small ball, they're able to do things and have advantages in ways that favor them that won't particularly favor a traditional lineup that we see the Lakers potentially to put out there and so I think you know I even think you know I was critical of Steve Kerr I think you know for the first three quarters of that game in game four and maybe half the fourth quarter the Warriors were, were in command in that game they had a double digit lead in the fourth quarter in that game I was 
a bit irritated. GP2 had 15 points in that game, only played the first two minutes of the fourth quarter, and we never saw him again for the remainder of the fourth quarter in game four. Last night, again, he rolled with that starting lineup, and, you know, I think they were large and in charge for a majority of that game, being in control of that one. And, again, Styles make fights, and I think – Kerr has finally found his lineup that he's most most comfortable with, and his team now has an identity in this series as he's been kind of shuffling things around, starting Jermichael Green, starting GP2, you know, trying to figure out what to do with Loon, who obviously had a significant first round, especially on the boards, playing against the smaller Sacramento Kings team, but now we're in a round where... He's not going to quite dominate the glass the way that he did because they got bigger guys like Anthony Davis over there. And he's got to also try to defend Anthony Davis, who I think you'll have a better chance with Draymond defending Anthony Davis. Although Anthony Davis is bigger, Draymond is still a general generational talent on that side of the ball and will make Anthony Davis work in ways that Loon just can't due to mobility reasons and Anthony Davis's ability to pull Loon away from the basket. I think Kerr has finally settled into this series and the pressure is really on the Lakers to close the dubs out in game six because if they don't, it's dubs in seven. Like, I don't see them going back to Golden State who would then have the momentum in this series and being able to win in a game seven. Yes, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, so is it possible? Absolutely. I just don't quite see it being that the Warriors have championship pedigree over there as well and have finally found their groove, it seems like, in this here series. So shout-out to Kurt for finally starting to figure it out. Took long enough. You, you, you dug a hole for yourself in the process, but uh, let's see if him and the Dubs can climb out of it. Um, we got games going on here tonight as well. Um, no DeAndre Ayton tonight as Denver looks to try to close things out on the road against Phoenix. I think it happens, but Devin, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant may have other plans. Wouldn't surprise me if they did, but not having Aiden Hurts. But obviously, Aiden can't do much with the big fella Joker anyway. And there's been a lot of conversations around who's been the best player in this postseason. And it's been Devin Booker, basically. Just the efficiency he's been playing with. Um, he's been averaging upwards of like 36 points per contest in this postseason. But to me... It's still Joker. <laughs> like, even after that game four, when the, when the Suns came back, won game four, was able to tie the series two to two um, at home. And that's really when the conversations, like, amplified around the greatness of Devin Booker, all well-deserved. And I've said here before, it may seem like I'm sounding like a Devin Booker hater. Like, Devin Booker is one of my top three personal favorite players in the league. I love Devin Booker. I've been on this podcast. I was one of those dudes that was early on the train of advocating for Devin Booker last year of being in the MVP conversation, and y'all waited till March to finally start having that conversation. I was having the conversation prior to All-Star break. But as well as Devin Booker has been playing, I said it on Justin's show last week when I was on there, and I think I said it on here last week as well. I just don't see a world where the Phoenix Suns can beat the Denver Nuggets if Kevin Durant isn't the best player on the Phoenix Suns. Because quite frankly, I don't see a world where over a span of seven games, Devin Booker is going to outplay or be a better player than Nikola Jokic. 
that's no knock to Devin Booker. We're talking about a back-to-back MVP and a guy who is was a top three MVP candidate again this year and a guy during those years of winning those back-to-back MVPs had a team who, who lacked health. This is the healthiest that this team has been since they went to a conference finals run in the bubble, and it's looking like they're going to make a return to the conference finals this year. And having a guy like Joker, I just don't see over a seven-game series, at least right now today, Devin Booker being the guy that can lead you to get over the hump in that scenario against him. That is no shade to Devin Booker at all. I love the guy. I love his game, and I love what he's been doing. I mean, I mean, the way that he makes the fundamentals of basketball look like an absolute work of art has been crazy. I said it on Twitter, man. When the guy squares his shoulders, just count the bucket. Like, if his shoulders are square to that basket, count it. Book it, if you will, since we're talking about Devin Booker. But it's got to be Kevin Durant who has to be the best player on the Phoenix Suns for them to overcome a healthy Denver Nuggets team with Nikola Jokic, who can argue you can argue is the best player in the league at this point and has been playing great. And his team, I think, has looked the best in this postseason more so than anybody. Yeah, it's been impressive what the Lakers have been able to do, getting a 3-1 commanding lead against that of the Golden State Warriors, the defending champs. But at the end of the day, Jokic is that dude, man. And this team, I think, might just end it in six tonight, especially with eight not being there, unless Kevin Durant turns into game seven, Brooklyn Nets Kevin Durant, and he goes for like a near 50-point performance. He's got to be that dude. If he's not going to be that dude and Booker has to be the one to lead the way and and Kevin Durant is going to settle for being a number two option on that team, I don't see him beating the Nuggets. They're deeper, and I think their best player is better than the Suns' best player if KD's got to be number two, even with how great Devin Booker's been playing. Even in that game four, like Devin Booker erupted, went off, shooting crazy efficient from the field, putting up 40 balls. Yeah, the Nuggets might have lost, but Joker still put up 50. Yeah, he did. (laughs) He still put up 50 in that game. So, you know, for what it's worth, take it with a grain of salt. I kind of think the Nuggets in the series. I I, I hope not. I hope the series goes seven because, quite frankly, the more basketball, the better. As far as I'm concerned, I love the game that much, and I love seeing the stars do this thing at the biggest stage and at the biggest level. But – I think the Nuggets in that series. I also think, I said this on radio, and sorry if I'm regurgitating some of the things I said on radio on Tuesday, but uh, most of y'all probably didn't hear it anyway, so I'm going to say it on my podcast here today. Um, I think Philly's going to win this series against the Celtics, be it in six or seven games. Those two teams are playing here tonight. Um, I think James Harden putting the team on his back for two games in this series was enough to say, all right, Joel Embiid, take us across the finish line. Had it only been one game that James Harden was able to take over in the way that he was able to take over, so let's say maybe that game one when he went for 45, hit the game winner, and stole the game on the road, I might have been like, huh, that's still not, not quite enough. But the fact that he was able to do it again in game four at home, 
and send the game into OT and then ultimately be the guy to win it in OT against obviously a very quality Boston Celtics team. And now you got Joel Embiid who, who went off in game five and was able to give them a 3-2 lead as they're now back in Philadelphia for game six with a chance to close it out. Game is just starting right now as I'm here recording this podcast. We'll see how it goes. I think Harden being able to do what he did for two games is enough for Embiid to say, all right, you did. You won us two games in this series. Let me win us the other two. If Embiid had to be the guy to win three games, especially after having already missed some games in this series, or at least game one in this series because he was hurt, and then we all know, you know, coming – off of his of a you know coming into his first game back from injury, um, and then also winning the MVP award, you kind of give him some grace for you know them not being able to perform and get the W in game two. But I think Embiid winning two games for this team is very possible, being that Harden was able to win the other two. So whether it being six and seven, I got none other than the Philadelphia 76ers in that one. And lastly, I think the only series that I haven't talked about yet. Um, will be that of the Knicks and the Heat, and I think the Heat are going to close them out at home in six games, and that's what you have there. Jimmy Butler's the best player in that series, and I think he's going to close them out at home, although big game from Brunson to be able to, uh, you know, bring his team within just a game in the series. They obviously were down 3-1, dug a hole for themselves, one game, five at home. I think they're done in game six down in South Beach. So that's where I stand with the playoffs right now currently. Um, again, I know this ain't the podcast that y'all usually come to to hear my analysis on what's actually happening on the floor, and y'all like to go listen to me on the broadcast and being able to do that. But quite frankly, when it comes to the big games and when it comes to this time of year, you just got to hear what I feel like. What I You have to hear what it is that I feel in regards to what's happening inside the lines. Now – Let's transition out. Again, last week, um, Lamar Jackson signed with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, It had been a long time coming. It had been a two-year telenova, in the words of Dave Zirin, who wrote, I thought, a great article um, in The Nation about this Lamar Jackson contract. Um, You know, and Lamar, who represents himself, his mother is his agent, um, was able to finally come to an agreement. Um, it's a five-year deal for $260 million. 185 of that is guaranteed, and it makes him the highest-paid player in NFL history. Zan, before I share some of my thoughts on it, I want to hear from you. Those those that don't know you, you more often hear from Zeb on this podcast, who's our engineer, um, during the NFL season. Big NFL fan over here, and uh, he knows the game really well. So let me hear your thoughts, Zeb. What, did, what do you think about the deal finally being done and uh, what it means for Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, so on and so forth? Well, I mean, first of all, congratulations to him. Um, I mean, sports aside, like – in any whatever your field is, you want to make the most money you can possibly make, be as successful as you can be in your field, and financially now he's absolutely done that. Yeah, um, and he and he deserves it. You know that For sure. he's, he's one of the most talented people we've ever seen on a football field, and yes. um, so that's great for him. Is it great for the game of football to pay one person that much money? 
that's that's debatable. Why? Um, Why is that debatable to you? Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, just the amount of money that goes into this professional sports in general is astonishing. It's a staggering amount of money. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, but you know, there's there's an argument to be made that when you pay one player uh, this great of a percentage of a team's salary cap that they have to start cutting corners at other places. Now, I'm not saying that um, that's going to be detrimental, this one in particular, or other ones like, say, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, those kind of contracts. Like, right. Um, but you've seen it. The, the, the salary cap is, while it helps to keep the league competitive – um, it puts teams into into tough situations sometimes where you have to cut good players um, and you're expected to find, you know, guys to play on the offensive defensive line um, and that it'll take a, a minimum salary or something like that. You right. know what I mean? Uh -huh. um, but ultimately, again, like the market's going to dictate your worth. And if a team is willing to give you two hundred sixty million dollars, then you're worth that two hundred sixty million dollars. Now, hopefully. He can stay healthy and uh, keep that team, you know, Super Bowl contenders over the next five seasons. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel you on that wholeheartedly. And, you know, I was talking about it a lot. Um, Y'all know when, when the Super Bowl time came around and we knew that we were going to have Patrick Mahomes uh, uh, in the Super Bowl and we knew that they were going to face off against Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and I was calling it the black-on-black -black bowl because um, we had two black quarterbacks for the first time in NFL history. And I just kind of was talking about how, like, transformational that was for the league. Um, I obviously talked about Mahomes and what he's been able to do in this league and why it's so important with him as a black man to to be doing what it is that he's doing in this league as a, a dual-threat quarterback, if you will, um, which tends to be more characterized as black quarterbacks. Like, we hear more about the black QBs being the dual-threat QBs, um, but the dual-threat QBs are the players who can make all the highlights but haven't necessarily been proven to win. And Mahomes, I think, is one of the first dual-threat QBs that's been able to, like, win multiple championships and not just one Super Bowl um, for a franchise, which is why, you know, I hold him in high regard. And I think what he's doing is so important and so significant, although I absolutely hate the Kansas City Chiefs being a <laughs> silver and black Las Vegas Raider, Las Oakland Raider fan, I should say, as I am. Um, but on a social level, I think what Mahomes doing has been huge. Um, but with Lamar Jackson in particular, um, I love that. And this is something that we not only saw with him and something that we're not only going to continue to see with these sort of dual threat quarterbacks, Lamar, obviously a guy who's great on his feet, but also can throw the ball well as well. Um, but even when we had the negotiations going on with the Niners and Debo Samuel guys who have to basically do more than just one thing. Um, Lamar essentially is a quarterback because he has to pass the ball, I guess, if you're speaking in more of a traditional sense and not a dual-threat quarterback. Like, he's proven himself to be a good passer. He's won an MVP in this league. But he also basically is their leading rusher and has, has had to be the running back for that team as well. And when we talk about, you know, sacrificing the body and putting the body on the line, when you're basically putting guys in a position to have to play more than their position – 
I understand them wanting to have to make more money or wanting to negotiate to be able to make these high amounts of money and 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 and, and really you know, giving these franchises some pushback before just signing for a contract that sounds like a lucrative contract, but maybe to them doesn't feel like my value is being um, implemented into this contract because what I do is more than what I'm getting paid for, especially when you talk about market value, so on and so forth. Debo, I call him a receiver and a running back. And so when you have these guys offensively that that do more than one thing, I think what's helping them is that Mahomes, ha, again, has won these multiple championships and has been able to leverage himself as an all-time great quarterback already and as a quarterback that has shown and proved like you can win with me as the dual threat guy more than just one time. And although obviously Lamar hasn't won yet and even Debo hasn't won yet, the consistency of the Niners making these deep playoff runs with Debo has absolutely been there. And I don't think that's the case without having a Debo Samuel there. Although their defense is great, so on and so forth, he has been their guy offensively and has been winning games for them on that side of the ball with mediocre quarterbacks, quite frankly. The Niners have had mediocre quarterbacks, but their offense has had a guy named Debo Samuel who's been able to be a receiver and a running back for them and help them to go on these deep runs. So I'm glad that Lamar fought the way that he did. Um, I'm also glad that in the fight, not only is he getting paid handsomely, but he forced the hand of the organization to go make some moves that'll help me not to have to sacrifice my body in the ways that I've had to to earn myself in the position that I am today to even be in these negotiations for this significant amount of money. So I think, you know, to his credit, it wasn't just a monetary fight for him, but it was also a fight like, yo, if y'all don't want to be paying this handsomely, I'm not going to backtrack on what I think my worth is now, especially for you billionaires. But if y'all don't want to be paying as handsomely, don't try to shortcut these other positions by saying, well, you know what? We don't need to have a really good running back because Lamar can just run the ball and he's still also our quarterback. So when we need him to throw the ball for a touchdown as well, he can do that too. No, go get me some talent and go get me some players if you don't want to pay me as much money. And again, I think that's something where with the negotiations, you don't backtrack on that during the negotiations as far as what you think your worth is. But these NFL teams and these front offices do have to know, realize, and understand that you can't shortcut these dual threat guys. Then these guys are putting up a fight to get paid for what it is that they're doing. And if what they're doing is playing more than one position, essentially for you, you got to pay them pretty damn handsomely to be able to do so. And obviously these front offices haven't particularly wanted to do that, but their hands have been forced by the success of people like Patrick Mahomes and by the fights that have been put up by players of the likes of Debo Samuel and, and, and Lamar Jackson in this case, or even some of the successes. Jalen Hurts just got paid handsomely as well because he's been more of a dual threat guy for the Eagles as well. So that's where we're at if we're an NFL front office. You're either going to pay these guys handsomely that are sacrificing their bodies and doing more than what they're asked for based on what their position is, 
or you better not take those shortcuts with those other positions that you were kind of just alluding to, Zeb, and start paying them well so that I feel more safe and secure. And for one, my body and my safety out here on the field and not having to take on the risk of doing more, knowing you know, what can happen when it comes to injuries, especially in the NFL, and take care of these other guys so that I have a chance to go out and win without having to do it all but sacrifice my body in the process. It's a dangerous sport, and they deserve to be uh, paid handsomely for uh, participating. I agree. I agree, man. So a huge shout-out. I think it was a huge power play by Lamar for just fighting the fight and sticking sticking it out and not only still getting the bag but also – Forcing the Ravens to go get him some players. <laughs> go get me some guys. You know, Odell obviously is over there. They got a better receiving core now. And, yeah, he he can go and, and do a bit more without having to take on the labor of doing so much more. He can do it within the flow of the game and what is allowed for him to be able to do because now defense have to pay more attention to other guys that he's out there playing with rather than just focusing in on him. And we all we all know how good he was when he was the focal point of the offense, which he's still going to be, but like with with lesser talent than he'll have now with the offense, he was an MVP. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do with some of the guys that they've been able to pick up. So um, congratulations to Lamar Jackson. Congratulations to Jalen Hurts. I love what it is that they've been doing, you know, with their position and with black women, obviously, in Jackson's case with his mom. Um, in Hurts' case, you know, he, he's he got a black woman as an agent as well. So I think just on a social on a social level, um, you know, they're doing dope things and they're breaking barriers within this league. And then just, again, from a position standpoint, I give a lot of credit to Mahomes and the success that he's been able to have winning multiple championships as a dual-threat quarterback and basically changing what it is the league looks like in terms of how you win in this league nowadays. And you're seeing these other, you know, organizations having to get dual-threat guys, whether it be at the quarterback position like a Hurts or like a Jackson or even like a Deshaun Watson, for that matter, who who, who got paid – pretty well you know over there in Cleveland or a dual threat guy like somebody like a Debo Samuel who's like yo if you're gonna make me be the running back and the wide receiver I need to get accommodated as if I'm a running back and a wide receiver not just a wide receiver that's doing both um so I love it man I'm, I'm super excited for Lamar and I'm excited that he'll be able to just kind of focus in on being the amazing talent that we've all gotten to see and know in the NFL um I've been coming on and I've been sending my prayers up to Jamie Foxx. Um, I obviously, you know, dug deep into how I feel about Jamie Foxx as an entertainer. Um, We have been getting these sort of like limited updates on his medical status. Um, We still don't even full on know what exactly happened. Um, And I don't want to talk about what's been alluded to in some of these reports. But in the most recent report um, that we've seen come out, pretty widespread um, has been that, you know, the family is still hoping for a full recovery for Jamie Foxx and they're expecting a full recovering for Jamie Foxx, but they're also preparing for the worst, which means, you know, if I got to speculate here, which again, I hate having to do that when it comes to somebody's life. But to me, that just means, you know, there there's still some sort of a decline or there's still, Uh, a hurdle that Fox has not been able to get over 
for the family to be able to full on say, hey, man, a full recovery is expected. Um, preparing for the worst, I think, you know, means that, hey, man, there's there's still some complications going on here that have yet to be figured out. And. Woo, just even the thought of that is a big blow. Um, again, I, I've talked about the talent that is Jamie Foxx, what he's meant to black entertainment, especially for my generation as somebody that was born in the 90s, 93 to be exact. Um, there was not more of, I mean, I'm over here talking about dual threat quarterbacks. I mean, when it comes to being a dual threat or even beyond entertainer from, you know, acting to musician to stand up comedy, like to me, nobody was able to cover more ground at an elite level than that of Jamie Foxx during my era of black entertainment growing up in the nineties and the two thousands. And so, you know, I'm really, really hoping for for a full recovery for Jamie. But obviously, I, I am a bit concerned hearing, you know, especially with the minimal reports that we're kind of getting with Jamie Foxx and, and the limited reports, I should say, that we're getting when it comes to Jamie Foxx, hearing that the family is preparing for the worst. Um, it's concerning. And so I, I want to continue from this podcast to send good energy to his way. Um, to his family's way and just for all of us that have been impacted and affected by the life and career of Jamie Foxx because he absolutely indeed is that dude. So plan praying for a speedy recovery for him. Um, but I think that's all I got for this week, folks. Um, again, appreciate you all. Tell a friend to tell a friend about this podcast. Tell them to tune in. You know, the Wake Up and Win podcast will continue to go strong. We're continuing to be weekly. Um, and, and we're continuing to put out dope content for you all. Um, and, you know, Spencer will be back a little bit more here in the near future. D-Boy will make more appearances here in the near future. But, hey, it's my name that's on this podcast at the end of the day. So I'm showing up every week. And if I don't show up, you just ain't getting an episode. But, damn it, you've been getting your episodes. So appreciate y'all. Again, subscribe, rate us, tell folks how you feel about us, tell folks to give us an ear. And we'll continue to do what we do right here weekly on the Wake Up and Win podcast. On that note, I'll tell y'all like I do every week, the only way that we know how to do it, and that is to stay woke and go win, my friends. <laughs>